1: This is the Joe and Amber podcast.
2: Canty and Carlin, those guys did not take it easy on me today on my appearance with them on Greenie. Joe. They're also always good for the zingers of Joe Fortenbaugh. I don't know if they're your biggest fan.
3: It The thing, there's a common misconception out there that there's some sort of rivalry or war going on between those two and I it's it couldn't be further from the case I have the utmost respect for those two they understand what good radio is and good radio is talking about Joe Fortenball. <laughs> they did what they needed to do to grab that quarter hour and I commend them for that I commend you for going on there and trying to upend the name of this show You want to change it? You can go right ahead with that. I'm not going to put up any fights there. But for those two, I admire them and I respect them. They have earned the B-roll behind Mike Greenberg because they understand what to talk about. They understand what the people want. And for that, it's just nothing but a standing ovation as I don't stand because I'm not getting up.
2: And you're also the only one clapping. uh, Oh, no, James Steele. Look at James. He gets it. Supportive producer. James Steele over here. Uh, It was fun being on air with those guys today. I did unintentionally slip there with the whole Amber and Joe. Nobody consulted me
3: when they named this
2: show. Amber and Joe rolls off the tongue a little bit easier, but... Fun fact, fun fact.
3: I I pitched Amber and Joe and was told no. You did? I want to make sure that that's out there as well, because that is an actual true statement. And I... I'll just leave it at that. I have a true, that's a true I pitched Amber and Joe.
2: <laughs> and the bosses overrode us. Said, the bosses,
3: no. now again, to be, clear, to be clear, the bosses understand great radio and great radio is oh, when, stay, say it with me here, You talk about mm, Joe Fortenball.
2: All right. Uh, And (laughs) here we are back here once again. Joe and Amber is on ESPN Radio. All you have to do is tell your smart speakers to play ESPN Radio. Joe and Amber is presented by Progressive. Progressive protects your home, auto, boat, motorcycle, and RV, and could save you money. Visit Progressive.com.
0: Well, some somber news to pass along from the world of sports. Jim Brown, the legendary running back from the NFL Has died.
3: You could never reduce Jim Brown to just a football player, but if you wanted to talk about him as a football player, you would probably start as the greatest football player (laughs) of all time. But after those nine
0: NFL seasons, he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1971, and the rest of his life he spent as an activist during the Civil Rights era and also there in South Central Los Angeles. Jim Brown was 87 years old.
2: We have to take a moment here to honor an absolute legend. And frankly, I feel like that's understating it. Arguably the greatest professional and collegiate football player of all time, you could argue. Jim Brown passes away at 87 years old. We got the information from his family today that he passed away peacefully. He was selected in the first round of that 1957 draft. Played nine seasons for the Cleveland Browns. Led the league in rushing eight of those seasons Joe you can go on and on he was a pro bowler every single year that he played in the National Football League he led the Browns to the league championship game three times he won the title in 64 he was named MVP three times I mean the man's resume I just there's not even enough time on Joe and Amber to list everything that Jim Brown did in football and beyond
3: what a life 87 years old, what a life. You could do an entire show and still barely scratch the surface on everything Jim Brown set out to achieve and then did in fact achieve throughout the course of his 87 years. couple fun facts here, courtesy of Hembo. Uh, nine Pro Bowls in nine years of 122 possible games that he could have played in, regular season and playoffs, he played in all 122. Take that, NBA Load Management. He had the touchdown record at 126. He scored 126 touchdowns in 118 games. No player in history has more touchdowns than games played. Only Jim Brown. Jerry Rice has the touchdown record. It required an additional 33 games to pass Jim Brown. That's just scratching the surface on his NFL career. As an activist... How much time he got for everything he did from the moment he retired in, I believe, 1966 until his passing. And then, at the tail end of this, if you ever want to go through Jim Brown's IMDB page, it's incredible how much he did in Hollywood. You know, from a TV perspective, he appeared all over the place. He was on, and I'm going through this, Chips. He was on Knight Rider. He was on The A-Team. He was in Running Man with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'm gonna get you, sucker. He was in Arliss. Uh, And it goes on. He was on draft day most recently, any given Sunday. He got game. I'm probably missing some Mars attacks, as we all know. The Oscar winner. Just kidding. No chance of that. But he he, just 87 years. What a life for Jim Brown, something that we could absolutely celebrate today and moving forward. And the Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio is going to have its flag at half mass to honor Brown, which, uh, you know, you can't think of a more, you know, astute way of going about that. He retired at just
2: 30 years old, at the height of his career, in the midst of his prime, because at the time he was filming the movie The Dirty Dozen. He didn't want to report to training camp. The owner of the Browns, Art Modell at the time, threatened to start fining him if he didn't show up. He decided to instead retire to focus on his Hollywood career and to focus on social issues. You mentioned there what Jim Brown did in that regard. Here's Howard Bryant, ESPN.com, senior writer on Canty and Carlin.
3: It's important to remember that black athletes before that group were expected to be quiet. They were expected to be docile. They were expected to be grateful. They were not expected at all to advocate for themselves or for anybody else. And I think that's one of the things that's really most important to remember about Jim Brown is that a lot of the things Jim Brown talked about he wasn't talking about them for himself. He was rich and he was famous and he was gifted and was an athletic genius. And so, so many of those things he was fighting for were for people who had it worse off than him.
2: I knew a lot about Jim Brown, obviously, before his passing. Of course, I knew what he did in football. I knew what he did in Hollywood. I knew what he did in terms of the civil rights movement as well. What I didn't know is what a well-rounded athlete he was in college. He lettered in four different sports. He was considered one of the greatest college lacrosse players to ever play the sport once scoring five goals in one half of a collegiate all-star game at Syracuse. He even served as a place kicker in one game in 1956, scoring a single game record with 43 points on six touchdowns and seven extra points. As a a kicker. I mean, just an unbelievable collegiate career. And of course, an unbelievable NFL career. So again, Jim Brown passes away at the age of 87 years old. Coming up next here on Joe and Amber. Miami Heat. They're going to try to get it done in Boston again. Game two is tonight. Coverage begins right here on ESPN Radio and on Sirius XM Channel 80 at 8 p.m. Eastern. We'll get into that matchup. ESPN Radio is also on the ESPN app.
1: Joe and Amber, the podcast. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better.
3: but if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com.
2: Miami Heat stole game one in Boston. Are they going to get a chance to take game two tonight as well-covered starts Right here on most ESPN radio stations at 8 p.m. Eastern. We are going to get into that game in just a moment. Joe Fortenbaugh, Amber Wilson at Joe Fortenbaugh. That's how you find him at Amber W Sports. That's how you find me. But first,
3: Joe's got some advice.
1: Pizza money alert.
3: Pizza, pizza. Last night, we go 3-1 and one plus 1. 1.6 units. Overall, as a show, 120 wins, 109 defeats, plus 15.06 units. Pizza Money number 1, apologies to Amber in advance. I'm laying the 9.5 with the Celtics over the Heat tonight. It doesn't matter who the teams are. It really doesn't matter anything. It just comes down to the simple trend. Home teams down 0-1 in the playoffs tend to bounce back huge in Game 2. They have produced 16 straight wins. Let me say that again. If you're down 0-1 at home... For game two, you have won 16 straight times, including 7-0 and straight up, 6-1 and against the spread this year, winning those games by an average of 18 points per game. It is an absolute smash spot, and that's why the spread is as high as 9.5 points. Keep in mind, the Heat shot 52% from deep in game one. I don't see that happening again. I like Boston to jump up early and the Heat to look ahead to game three. Pizza Money number one, Celtics minus 9.5 over the Heat.
1: I turned the ball over, you know, that was on me. You know, you got to slow down a little bit in those moments. He cannot allow himself to take four shots in the second half. He has to demand it because they go the way Jason Tatum goes.
2: Joan Amber is presented by Progressive Insurance. Tune in tonight for Game 2 of the NBA Eastern Conference Finals. This is the Seas host, The Heat, presented by Indeed. Coverage begins, again, 8 p.m. Eastern on most ESPN radio stations and on Sirius XM Channel 80. Jason Tatum is pivotal tonight for the Boston Celtics, Joe. And you're talking about a Jason Tatum that, especially in the fourth quarter, really had a hard time for the Celtics in game one. Not only was he not taking shots in the fourth quarter, but when he did have his opportunities, he kept making mistakes, at traveling all over the place. Jason Tatum, just real kind of boneheaded moments. Uh, he was getting very sloppy with the basketball. And that Boston Celtics team certainly does, as you just heard Jay Williams say, go as Jason Tatum goes. So he's going to have to step up much bigger tonight. I would imagine coming off of that performance, he's going to be extra motivated. We've seen that from Jason Tatum in the past. The Boston Celtics are certainly not going to want to drop another one at home. You just mentioned all the trends there. A lot of people feeling good about the Celtics chances tonight.
3: Yeah, and we've seen it individually with these two teams throughout the course of the playoffs. Miami goes to Milwaukee in game one, steals a victory against the Bucs, gets absolutely throttled in game two. Nothing against that. No problems there. You, You achieved what you set out to achieve, which was to flip home court advantage and to win one of two on the road. You know, we just saw it with the Celtics as well. They lost game one against the Philadelphia 76ers without Joel Embiid and then came back to annihilate the Sixers in game two. So historically... It has nothing to do with the teams. Historically, this is just a very, very tricky spot for a team like the Miami Heat. Now, if there is a team that can overcome and cause a problem here, it would be a team like the Miami Heat, as they've known to fight their way. They're known for fighting their way back into these games. So tonight, it's going to be about withstanding the early onslaught and just playing your game. But the thing that stands out to me, and this has got to be the biggest fear in your mind, What happens with the Heat if they're not shooting 50% from deep? Because they were unstoppable from long range in game one. If that doesn't fall tonight, it feels like the Celtics are going to be all over them.
2: Right. I mean, the shots have to fall, obviously, for the Heat. And that is the recipe for success when you're playing the Boston Celtics. But Bam Adebayo had a lot to do with that because he was opening things up for the other guys on his team with how aggressive Bam was, then also putting up 20 points in his own regard, eight rebounds, five assists. And it was that aggressive Bam that I really loved that gave me a lot of confidence coming off of Game 1 because he really did not have a good series against Boston last postseason. Like, he, had a, he had a good game seven. He had a decent game seven, but that was it. He didn't really show up in the series before that. Robert Williams was making him look like a fool a lot of the time. That was certainly not the case by any means in game one, and it ended up becoming a bit of a mismatch where you had Robert Williams. There was points in the first half where it looked like he was great on the glass, but then he ends up getting limited minutes there. In the second half, it was a more of an Al Horford game because Al Horford ends up being a more versatile player, both offensively and defensively, and so they end up going with the Horford minutes in the second half. It'll be interesting to see how they play Bam here in game two. I do think an aggressive Bam and an effective Bam is a problem for Boston because again, you're talking about a Miami heat team that was just a shot away Last year, when I would argue, the Boston Celtics were a little bit better. Now, given the Heat were probably arguably on paper a little bit better last year as well. They had Tyler Hero for one. But again, when you have an aggressive BAM, which you didn't have last year, and they still found themselves a shot away, things go much differently for the Heat. And that's what you saw in game one. I'm looking really at what BAM does tonight to set the tone in game two more than anybody else on the Heat. Because you know Jimmy's going to show up in a given night if he can. But it's really, bam, that ends up being the wild card.
3: Dropping 20 on 13 shots in game 1 it's huge for Adebayo but the problem is what you alluded to earlier the Robert Williams minutes I don't think we're going to see nearly as much of them I think when the Celtics want to go big they're going to go Horford and Williams is going to be limited hint hint that might be something coming up in pizza money later in the show that was a major problem for them now you can look inside the box score from game 1 and you can say what's the problem with Robert Williams he was 6 of 6 he had 14 points 7 rebounds when he was on the court the Celtics were outscored by 14 points mm-hmm. that was his plus minus in game one minus 14 it was the absolute worst of any player who appeared in game one translation when he's on the court for the celtics good things are happening for miami and that problem was on the defensive end he just got caught in too many bad situations so i think when you go back and look where was he at he was at 26 minutes in game one you're probably going to cut that down in game two and see how it plays out
2: yeah I think he had twenty five or twenty six minutes uh just uh, oh, less than four of those minutes came there in the fourth quarter for Williams. So you saw him, he started the game, but you saw him progressively less as the game went on because I think that they realized, hey, this is a problem as they headed into a second half. But the second half adjustments don't end up helping the Boston Celtics. They end up tremendously helping the Miami Heat, an epic third quarter for the Miami Heat. I mean, one of the best quarters in NBA postseason history. Obviously, you're going to see the Celtics try not to allow that to happen tonight. I do wonder, are we going to get A timeout from Missoula If the Heat go on a run It was such a talking point After game one But frankly It was a talking point In their series as well Against the 76ers So I don't know At this point Is Missoula just Like he's just Sticking to his guns To stick it to us Or something In terms of the narrative Surrounding everything and that's why he's not calling timeouts he doesn't want to be asked about them either after the game or are we actually going to see a Missoula that tries to disturb those runs if Miami gets
3: hot this is where it starts to get interesting because some coaches want you to play your way out of it they don't want to call timeout they want you to play your way out of it they want you to find a way to get tough and figure out the situation mitigate the damage on your own others will call the timeout if Missoula's process throughout the course of the playoffs has been to not call a timeout on that spot I'm wondering what it would take for him to start calling the timeout. Obviously, what we just saw in game one should be one reason, but if that's not going to budge him, then don't mess with your process now. Because once you start second-guessing yourself in one department, you might start second-guessing yourself elsewhere. Then your substitution patterns. Then your starting lineups. Then your rotations, your minutes. All that stuff can come into question, and you can get lost. You can get lost really quickly. You need to stay confident, but you need to tweak where – necessary. And the timeouts that you mentioned Amber, obviously an area where he probably could start thinking about maybe a different course of uh of attitude or, or approach to avoid some of these problems because if it's not working, at some point you got to fix it, but you don't want to get caught overcorrecting in too many different departments and then you lose your way.
2: Yeah, we'll see what that coaching matchup looks like tonight. I do think that from the Miami Heat perspective, as a Heat fan, when you're referencing all the statistics of it can be any two games or any two teams rather in a game two scenario, when the home team has dropped the first game, they come out with a vengeance in game two. What's concerning about that is I feel like that has to do with the motivation, of course, of the home team, but also that the team that went in there and took care of business in game one kind of feels like, well, we did what we came here to do. So they take off the the foot off the gas pedal a little bit in game two. And you've seen it, especially with Jimmy Butler at times where it seems like maybe he conserves himself a little bit in games that he doesn't feel like are must win games tonight for the Miami heat might not feel like a must win game. However, you've got to be careful about that. If you're the heat because Boston can easily go down there to Miami and win one they did it in game seven last year i don't think they're scared of having to do it on miami's court either so this is not necessarily something that the heat should sleep
1: joe and amber the podcast
2: are some interesting rumors flying around the world of the NBA. We are going to continue to talk about Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals coming up tonight as well. Coverage begins right here on most ESPN radio stations at 8 p.m. Eastern for that game. We will also get into those rumors, but first, Joe's got a little bit more advice.
1: Pizza money alert.
3: Pizza, pizza. Yeah, this plays right in hand with what we were talking about earlier. The first pizza money was Boston minus nine and a half. The second pizza money is Boston in the first half minus six points. I expect them fully to just come out and jump all over Miami tonight. Miami has achieved what they set out to achieve, which was to steal one of two on the road. We saw it happen in the Milwaukee series. We saw it happen in the Knicks series. They came back to lose game two both times. We also saw Boston lose at home in game one against Philadelphia. They annihilated the Sixers in game two. Uh, this postseason, home teams that are down 0-1 in game two, they are 5-1-1 one, and one in the first half of game two. They've got a great record, and they're winning the first half by an average of 11 points per game. So you get the theme here tonight, pizza money number two, Boston minus six in the first half over the Heat. The process is dead. The entire organization is soft, and that's what no one understands. This culture was built in Charmin soft losing. This to me was like a scam. It was a fantasy, and it was a coping mechanism for losing.
2: So that was the voice of Joe Fortenbaugh calling his own team soft. And now, since the end of their postseason run at the hands of the Boston Celtics, there are a flurry of rumors surrounding the 76ers and two of the star players on that team. Let's start with Joel Embiid. Okay, the biggest star in the 76ers, the currently reigning MVP, who just won that award for the first time in his career. The New York Daily News, Joe, is putting it out in the universe that they have been told since midseason that Joel Embiid is the guy to watch for the Knicks and Philly's playoff flameout only intensified that belief that put out in the universe by Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News. Are you surprised to hear that a player who has uh, three years left on his deal, and you expected him to be in Philly for every single one of those?
3: Not necessarily, because this is what we do, right? The teams that come up short, that have come up short repeatedly. You start talking as soon as they flame out yet again about whether or not you need to blow it up. It's never about how to improve the situation. It's always about just blowing the whole thing up, trade, restart, just restart, restart, restart. Identify the problem and figure out how to get better. The problem with Philadelphia is very simple. They're soft, and that's not some sort of criticism from some sports radio guy who really just wants to get people going. They're a soft basketball team. You see it in the postseason year after year. They're just not capable of rising to the challenge in the big spots. And if it just happened one time in one year, that would be unfair. But six years in a row, they've been to the playoffs. Five of those years, they've gotten knocked out in the second round. One of those years, they got swept in the first round. They have been a good team. I think they were a three-seater higher in four of those seasons, but they've never advanced the championship round. And in those Six seasons, they've been to the playoffs. We've talked about this before. 14 different NBA teams have been to the conference finals. They are not one of them. So we're just looking for progress here. You're not going to get any better trading away Joel Embiid. What you need to do is go out and find a killer who can come in and play alongside Joel Embiid. You had it with Jimmy Butler back in the day. You blew it. You got to get over that, and you got to look for someone else. Embiid's problem is he's not a killer. He'll put up a ton of stats. He's fantastic. But in the big spots, like late in game six, all we heard about was, uh, they just didn't get me the ball. I don't understand that. LeBron would have taken the ball. Michael Jordan would have taken the ball. Kobe would have stolen the ball from his own teammates to get the shots up. But Embiid decides he's going to address that with the media after. And then in game seven, he flames out. Embiid is a very valuable championship type piece, but you need to surround him with the right guys. Not a bunch of soft guys like James Harden who don't show up in the playoffs just like Embiid. You need to find the killers. So that's what the process this offseason should be about. Finding killer instinct players who can come in at a level of mental toughness that this franchise has been lacking throughout the entire duration of, quote, the process, and begin moving forward in a tougher mindset uh, capacity. That's how they get better. It's not a skill issue. It's a toughness issue. But those
2: players don't grow on trees. And there have been numerous iterations of this team since Joel Embiid was drafted by this team. And Joel Embiid obviously is an unbelievable player. Nobody is saying otherwise. But for whatever reason, the combinations that he's been put into don't result in actual results in the postseason. They had Jimmy Butler. Nobody says Jimmy Butler ain't a killer. I mean, at this point, right? I mean, Jimmy Butler's one of the toughest dudes in the league. We've seen it. And for some reason, it didn't work really either there. Now, I understand they they allow him to move on very quickly there in Philly and it was a short stint, but still they did have him and it wasn't like they were winning championships when they did. James Harden, you bring him in, they do look good in the regular season. They look good. To you. Obviously James Harden, he has his moments. He's not in his prime anymore, but we know that he has been an excellent player. Doesn't have that killer quality either. James Harden in game seven, even when he was in his prime, never been known to, right? And so it doesn't end up actually resulting in success in the postseason, but they've attempted. You've had management. You've had coaches. You've had different changes to this organization. We have been doing this quote unquote process thing for darn near a decade at this point and none of it has worked. And so I guess if you reach a level of total frustration in Philly, you'd be looking at your roster thinking, how do we start over? Or how do we get the most value, the most bang for a buck? And your only way to really do that significantly would be trading away Joel Embiid, who does have three years left and then a player option there in the fourth year, if his deal an MVP, but most importantly, they're not going to do this unless Joel wants them to do this. And we know that if he wants them to do this, he can force his way out because we've seen it time and time again in this modern era.
3: Without question, without question, that's how it works. The players have the power. In basketball, And if you're a superstar player like Joel Embiid, you have more power than anyone because they have the ability to just sit there and say, well, I'm not going to play uh, my hammy and you're going right. to be on the hook for all that money. And that guy's just not going to play. We've seen this happen before. I remember when Chris Webber was in Philadelphia way back in the day, I want to say like 0405, maybe a year after that. Weber was there. He grew disgruntled. He was hurt and couldn't play. They eventually traded him to Detroit. I think he suited up and played that night. Like, immediately, like, healthy, ready to go Mm -hmm. once again. So I don't – I wouldn't trade Embiid. If I'm Philadelphia, you're going to trade Embiid and then what? You're going to spend all the capital you brought in to go find – wait for it – a guy like Joel Embiid, who you already had. You need to find the players that you can fit around him. You've done a very poor job of that. Markel Fultz was a terrible draft pick. Uh, Tobias Harris – He's stepped up at times, but you gave him a lot of money and you're just not getting enough out of him. Harden, everyone knew from the beginning that was going to not work out. The thing is, it kind of worked out because you traded Ben Simmons for him and Simmons doesn't even play basketball anymore, which leads me to Simmons. That was another weak-minded individual that you put around him. You need the killers. The guy doesn't need to average 25, 12, and 7 in order to play alongside Joel Embiid. What he needs to do is be able to knock down a big shot late or make a big defensive play to keep the team from completely falling apart. Because when you watch this team fall apart late in games, who's the leader that stands up and rallies them? The answer is no one. It should be Joel Embiid, though. It should be Embiid, but if he's not that guy, you need to find that guy. Embiid can be the alpha playmaker or stats guy, that's fine, but you need the alpha personality that leads. That's not always the best player on the team. A lot of times it's the guy that just rallies people around them. So that's what they're going to need. They need to bring in some toughness. And until they do that, it's going to be the same thing every single year.
2: You chose paying Tobias Harris over Jimmy Butler. But that's the kind of moves that your organization makes. You mentioned there, though, the force out. Because I also would not trade away Joel Embiid if I'm the Philadelphia 76ers. But as a Heat fan, I'm hoping beyond hope he forces his way out. Because I would love for the Miami Heat to trade for Joel Embiid since him and Jimmy Butler are best friends. In in terms of the force out, one of the most epic ones ever was James Harden, who was fat in Houston, (laughs) and then he shows up in Brooklyn, and all of a sudden, he lost like 30 pounds in 24 hours. He took off the fat suit. I don't know how that one worked, but that was a remarkable turnaround. And then, of course, we know now he found his way from Brooklyn to Philadelphia. Now, it appears he might want to go right back to that place that maybe he was wearing a fat suit when he was playing for them the last time that we saw him because... The uh, Philadelphia Inquirer has put out in the universe that Sixers' James Harden is expected to reunite with the Rockets in free agency. That is, again, sources telling the Philadelphia Inquirer. I don't know if that's a shock because we've been hearing that now for the last couple of weeks. I don't understand it. I don't understand it from, frankly, the James Harden perspective, but more so, I don't understand it from the Houston perspective because, again... He left you, and he didn't treat you very well at the end, and now you're going to take him back?
3: I mean, I'm with you on that. I can see why he wants to go back. I don't think his priority is to go out and chase championships. I think he wants to get paid, put up numbers, and have a good time. I don't blame him for that. He is who he is. If that's how he wants to approach life, it's your life, man. Go for it. I got nothing against that. But those who are getting in the business with you need to understand where you're coming from so they can make the right decisions. When it comes to Houston, I don't get why they would be interested in this deal. Daryl Morey is the guy who loves James Harden. Morey was in Houston with him, but Morey's not there anymore. Morey's in Philadelphia. So now Imi is coming in as the head coach. You're trying to reboot this franchise that's fallen on tough times. You have the number four pick in the lottery. What is bringing James Harden into that fold going to do. You had an awful culture last year. The coach got fired. Every report from Windhorse and everyone in between was how bad that culture was. How those young players were not being held accountable. They were doing whatever they wanted. It was a free-for-all in Houston. And the results show. So why would you want to bring Harden in? He doesn't strike me as the guy who's going to come in, grab control of a young locker room, put him on his back, and then show them how to be professionals, right? Harden's going to do Harden, which again is fine, but it doesn't seem like that's the right fit for a young, fallen on hard times franchise that's looking to right the ship and get it moving in the right direction. He doesn't seem like the guy.
2: It seems like a complete digression in philosophy to me in the direction that you should be heading as an organization that should be rebuilding. And you mentioned they're young and James Harden ain't those things. He's not the guy that you're rebuilding around. And frankly, he's not young. And then again, there's the way that he left the organization as well. I guess they just like the big splashy name maybe to put seats or to put bodies in the arena. Lots of seats, yeah. I guess, do but does he have that kind of pull? there still maybe he does i don't know is he still is he ever everyone's just gonna welcome him back with open arms the fans are gonna love that he's back with that organization they're gonna care that
3: much so let's take a look hold on i want to scroll down as you're doing that
2: joe and amber is presented by progressive insurance (laughs) progressive commercial insurance can protect your small business with over 30 coverage options an easy to use mobile app personalized discounts and more get a quote in as little as six minutes at progressivecommercial.com. discounts and coverage selections not available in all states or situations
3: The only franchises that did fewer people per game in terms of home attendance this year than the Rockets were the Pacers and the Thunder. That's it. Those are the only two teams. Everybody else drew a higher number at home this season on average than the Houston Rockets, except Indiana and Oklahoma City. And that's really unfortunate with Oklahoma City because Shai Gilgis-Alexander was first team All-NBA, and that's a franchise moving in the right direction. They got Mm -hmm. a lot of nice assets there. And a lot of draft picks there. Coming up next
2: here on Joe and Amber, I'm going to tell you how the Miami Heat are going to take a 2-0 series lead tonight. I'm sure you are just going to stay tuned in. Everyone is just locked in. ESPN Radio is also on
0: the ESPN.
1: Joe and Amber, the podcast.
2: Coverage of Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals starts right here on most ESPN radio stations in just about 11 minutes from now. And of course, on Sirius XM Channel 80 as well. We are going to get more into that game. But first, Joe's got a
3: little bit more advice.
1: Pizza Money Alert.
3: Pizza, pizza. So we gave you Boston minus 9.5 for the game. Boston minus 6 in the first half. Final Pizza Money of the night. Robert Williams under... Seven and a half rebounds, priced at minus 135. He was a major defensive liability in game one. You look at the box score, he made all of his shots. He was six for six. He put up some nice numbers. He was minus 14 in plus minus, meaning when he was on the court, only when he was on the court, the Celtics were outscored by 14 points in that game. Defensively, he was a mess, and the Heat knew to attack it. So I think he plays less minutes tonight. Keep in mind, he had seven rebounds, didn't go over this number. He only had seven in game one, and he's gone under seven and a half rebounds in 11 of his last 14 playoff games. So the final pizza money of the evening, Robert Williams under seven and a half rebounds.
1: to Murray, who can't miss in the fourth quarter. Another three, 14 fourth quarter points for Jamal Murray, and the Denver Nuggets have held home court. They've gone up two games to none in the Western Conference Finals.
2: So the Miami Heat are going to go up 2-0 on the Boston Celtics tonight, naturally, of course. The Denver Nuggets (laughs) went up 2-0 on the Los Angeles Lakers last night. We are going to get more into Game 2 in the ECF in just moments. But, Joe, you and I haven't even gotten a chance to mention what happened last night in the West. Jamal Murray buries the Lakers. A 23.4th quarter performance from him in Game 2. And the Nuggets end up taking it again there
3: at Ball Arena reasons for concern if you're a lakers fan and there are many but i'll boil it down to two number one you now need to win four of the next five games against the denver nuggets two of which at a minimum will be played in denver that is a major problem to overcome something like that is going to be monumental not to say you can't do it but it's going to require a monumental effort number two Game two played out just like we predicted on this show. We told Mm -hmm. you both teams would not shoot like they did in game one. We told you that the scoring would be down, and that's exactly what happened. Instead of an up-and-down shootout like game one, which the Lakers lost, this was more of a slower-paced defensive battle that featured much less scoring, and the Lakers lost that one as well. So two stylistically different games so far this postseason both resulted in losses for the Lakers. Coming home, they're a a five-and-a-half-point favorite in game three. I would bet the Lakers in game three, they're going to give you a great effort. You have to remember, Denver's not the same team on the road as they are at home. We saw that in the Phoenix series when they lost game three and game four. But I have a feeling it's the Lakers in game three. I'd lay the five and a half. And then I think Denver nips them in game four to take a 3-1 lead heading home.
2: Yeah, you and I see it the same way, and that's how I've seen this series since the very beginning. I've always felt like the Nuggets were, frankly, the far better team, and I feel like over game one and two, we saw the Lakers throw everything at Denver, everything it had, and yet they still couldn't get it done. Denver is just too good, and Jokic, recorded his fourth straight triple-double, but it was really getting the help there as Murray, who was the finisher, and them just being able to survive the wave and do what they always do at Ball Arena, which is win in the postseason. So we'll see where that series goes. It's really hard to imagine, though, that the Lakers are going to climb out of an 0-2 hole. However, we have seen LeBron James do it in the past. We've seen him do it, what, twice before, I believe, in the postseason. We will also see if Jamal Murray can stay in the zone in Game 3 Free, like he was in game two get in the zone is brought to you by auto zone get in the zone auto zone so coverage again begins tonight in the eastern conference finals in about eight minutes from now when the miami heat take on the boston celtics once again in boston do you have any hope for my heat tonight
3: Can't rule them out. Can never rule out the heat with the way they play, with the way they show up, the toughness they bring to the table. You know, game one, they found themselves in a perilous situation. I think they were down 13 at one point, if memory serves. They rip off a very quick 9-0 run, and they steal all the momentum heading back the other way. So I'd never discount them. History, however, is very unkind to teams in the spot Miami is in tonight, and that's the home team, Boston, down 0-1 in the playoffs, entering game two. It's almost like you have two... Wildly different mindsets, which lead to blowout results. Boston knows it cannot afford to lose the first two games of this series at home. That's a death sentence. They're going to come out with everything they've got. Miami, on the other hand, already stole one of two on the road, which is the mindset of the road team in the postseason. Let's go steal one, we'll flip home court, and we'll handle business back at home. Well, now that they've already done that, how are they going to perform tonight? Remember, we have a history of this. Game one against Milwaukee. The Heat throttle them. Then they get blown out in game two. Game two against the Knicks, they had won game one. They end up losing that game. No Jimmy Mm -hmm. Butler, but just keep that in mind as the Celtics throttled the Sixers in game two coming off that loss as well. History not kind to teams in Miami spot. And the money has been pouring in on Boston. They opened as an eight-point favorite. It's as high as 10 at some spots.
2: I shouldn't feel good about tonight. I don't really know why I do, but it makes no sense to me. Because your team is good. Well, it, it's a good team. It's certainly a good team. So are the Boston Celtics, by the way. They are a good team. And... Everything that you just mentioned, of course, the pattern of this being any two teams and just that situation never lends itself well to the team playing game two on the road when they've already taken game one. But also we've talked about it before where Jimmy Butler just seems to be one of those players that can take his foot off the gas, but a little bit when he knows he's not in a must win type of situation. And now that they took game one, this ain't technically a must win situation for the Heat. That offense ran through Jimmy in Game 1. 35 points, 5 boards, 7 assists. You'd probably need that sort of thing again tonight. So we'll see how motivated he ends up being here in Game 2. And yet, all of that being said, and laying out all the logical reasons that the Heat shouldn't win tonight, there's something about this team that I just feel like they're going to And maybe that's just the Heat. Homerism
1: in This has been the Joe and Amber Podcast. You can listen to Joe and Amber Live, weeknights from 7 to 9 PM Eastern. Plus, you can listen on the ESPN app, Sirius XM Channel 80, or on your smart speaker, Joe and Amber, the podcast.